APHIDS is proud to acknowledge the Wurundjeri Woi Wurrung people as traditional custodians of the land on which we're having this conversation. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. APHIDS, listen. Hi, I'm Mish. Hi, I'm Lara and you're listening to APHIDS Listens. AFIDS Listens is an alternative archive where an artist shares a work they've loved and a work that they've made. Um, how are you going, Mish? I'm very well. How are you today, Lara? Pretty good. Uh, got lots of um, cards out on the desk trying to do a, you know, schedule of my brain now that things are shifting again. Mm-hmm. How about you? The shifting sense. Um, I'm really well. I had a pretty exciting night uh, last night. Um, I watched a TV series called, for the first ser- time, uh, called Alone. Have you watched uh, that show? Yeah, you're a bit late to the party, mate. I was watching <laughs> that, you know, a year and a half ago. Well, I prefer to arrive late at parties because I'm cool that way. Okay. Uh, so I usually wait till something's well out of fashion before I start indulging. No, um, I, like to was... set, I like to set trends, so you know we're a good we're a good pair like that. <laughs> Complimentary. <laughs> uh, no, it's so amazing though because I was watching it, and the first season I don't know if you remember is all these men sort of stuck on this Canadian um, outpost where there's a lot of rain and there was a huge storm over my roof while it was happening because it hit where I, you know, that big storm. And it, <laughs> it was it was like an immersive theatrical experience. Wow. Wow. 3D, some might say. Yeah, three. It was smell of vision. It was 3D. It was immersive. It was all the kind of 90s tropes that you can imagine in one perfect experience. Oh. Who did you interview this month? So I spoke with Samane Porsche, an amazing and quite hilarious uh, local Melbourneian queer Iranian artist. And Samane has a pretty amazing practice which involves stand-up comedy, um, performance art, like quite radical performance art, um, drawing, digital imagery, photography and video pieces. And we um, kind of explore what it is to to have a very multidisciplinary practice and how to kind of take a performance and and turn it into something else and um yeah it's quite funny i guess i should have like a a slight uh warning there's some um colorful language and issues in here but um don't we all love that enjoy it and i hope you enjoy the listen mish tantalizing introduction lara i can't wait to listen thanks so much for joining me for AFID's Listens. Um, we might begin with you telling us a little bit about a work that you love. All right. Um, thank you for having me. Um, I thought, so I was thinking a lot about this because I really, I love art. I love talking about art. I love art history. Um, I love listening to other people talk about art as well. Um, so the, the thing... So it was really hard to, like, pick just one thing. It is hard. Right. And I was – I talked to a lot of people about, like, what's – you know, like, (laughs) cheating? Like, what's your favourite artwork? 
Um, and I was also thinking about how how to select an artwork because I was like, oh, I would love to sort of talk about, you know, especially being like a queer and and uh, a queer person of colour. I was like, oh, I would, would love to like select something that fits into the criteria. Mm. But then I got a bit mad at the idea. I was like, no, fuck these people. Like, I'm not the representative for people of colour. I'm going to choose what I want to choose. And I had this dilemma within myself because I was like, no, no, don't go for, like, Western, <laughs> Western art's greatest hits. Go for, like, this this person who needs it. And I was like, oh, I, I had to go. It's your job to <laughs> promote the unrepresented. Didn't you know that? Yes, it is. <laughs> it's right? not. It's not. You're allowed, no. to, you're allowed to like whatever you like. I know. So, so in the end, I end up going with what I really enjoyed, which is um, a sculpture, a Baroque sculpture by Gian Lorenzo Benini called The Ecstasy of St. Teresa. Mm. And the reason I chose it is it's something that comes back to me a lot of times through my work. I've worked with the image like four or five times in different ways. I love it. I love the history of it. I love the history of the artist. Um, Can you describe it for us just to begin? Set a, set a picture. Set a picture. All right. <laughs> Rome, 1452. I love it here. <laughs> no, 1552. Oh, my God, I don't even know when it was made. Rome, 500 years ago. Um, okay, so what's, what's really kind of great about this is that it's a, a sculptural piece made out of marble. It's in a church. So it's a fixture in a church. It's a religious Baroque artwork. Um, and Benini, who's a super interesting character, is literally a Renaissance man. So he's an architect, a painter, a sculptor, all-round, like, asshole man at large, right? And so he, on commission, he creates this artwork that is visual representation of the experience of a mystic called St. Teresa of Avila. It's a sculptural work. The work is made out of marble. It looks like it's levitating off the ground because it's held up by supports, metal supports. It has, it's in an alcove with natural light coming through the top of it. And it's incorporated frescoes as well as architectural elements. Um, and it's it's kind of a very typical Baroque artwork, very with with elements of neoclassicalism and mm. and it's beautiful. Like to me, I chose it because it's beautiful. Mm. I fell in like it was sort of one of my first loves, so I came back with it because I was like, <sighs> like mm. it's my first one of my first art crushes, so that's why I chose it. And how how have you witnessed it? I have never. <laughs> I was thinking about this, right? I was I was talking to my cousin, telling her about my selection. I have never seen this artwork in real life. I've only ever seen it through facsimile and images, which I thought was really strange way to experience art. Mm. Something three dimensional that is built into an architectural space, designed for you to phenomenologically experience it. And I've only ever seen it 
as flat photographic images. Mm. But I'm still in love with it. Like, I'm in love with an image. <laughs> what, are you, what, what about it do you love? Like, what's the shape? Is it, is it a big sculpture? Is it... How does it look? Okay, so you, you walk into this cathedral... There are lots of elements. So the people who commissioned it have been also created in marble flanked to the left and right looking at this central event happening, right? So this is, it's a Gesamtkunstwerk, mm-hmm. if you will, because it does, it incorporates all these elements. So you have these, these people have commissioned it. Everything is life-sized, um, the central figure that looks like it's levitating is a nun reclining on her back, barefooted, wearing these robes, all out of white marble. And then to her left, there's a cherub. The cherub is holding a golden arrow in its hand. And St. Teresa is reclining with her eyes shut with this quite orgasmic look on her face. <laughs> And it's not like, that's not an exaggeration. She's truly experiencing a sublime physical, spiritual experience. And then where that light comes in from the top, the natural light illuminates this thing once again. So it's quite supernatural. But the whole idea of it as it was constructed was for the viewer to to look like they are part of this event. Mm. And... What's also really awesome about Benini is beyond the sort of extravagance that is part of Baroque, he captures in his work usually like really key moments. So his David compared to Michelangelo's David, Michelangelo's David is before, you know, is a sort of body in rest, whereas his David is the body that is literally slinging the rock. Mm. So Benini captures mm. points of action. Yeah. So this is what's happening there. Like the angel is about to spear her heart with a flaming rod of <laughs> spiritual love and she is like about to like receive that unto her body. It's like it to me it's sex magic. Mm. And she's this mystic and like the whole thing is sort of sex and spirituality mixed in. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking I should go to Rome to see this. I was like, you have such a a boner for this thing. Go see it. (laughs) And I'm like, no, I can't. Um, (laughs) Do you remember the first time you saw it? Oh, it probably would have been in something like The History of Art Mm. by, like, Graham Greene, Mm -hmm, like the mm -hmm. old school art textbooks. And you were like, schwing. Yeah, it probably would have been in high school in Mrs. Anderson's art class and they gave us a copy of, yeah, The History of Art and I'm like, this is my porno now. Yeah, yeah. wow. And it is my porno now. Like Amazing. <laughs> and, like, how how has it sort of come into your understanding of art or your art practice? Like, how has that sort of shaped into what you do now? That's such a good question. Because I was thinking about this, because I, I always loved it, and, and I was trying to think, like, why why am I so attracted to this thing? And look, like, probably first off, I thought it was beautiful. I mm. thought it, it looks human. It looks fleshy. It looks sensual, but it's stone. That's, like, my first point of call. But then 
And what's on a side note, this is not my area of specialty. Like my area of specialty is American and British art, like 1900 to 1950. Okay. Right? But I'd also say you have not become a marble sculptor. I am not a marble (laughs) sculptor. The idea of sculpture actually terrifies me. So when I see people do this stuff, I'm like, whoa. Like, mind blown. It's mesmerizing, yeah. Um, But I come, look, there's something really sensual, Mm. really theatrical, really performative, where, like we're talking about, there's a central event, you have these side characters viewing it and the audience is brought into the moment. Those things, I think, influence me. And then there's this sort of sensuality and a sort of mysticism that I relate to. And I love the idea of like saints and mystics and cowboys and outlaws and I sort of lump these sort of people who live outside of the norm together. Mm. And so Saint Teresa is part of that for me. Yeah. And that uh, that essence of the 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 marble people watching like mm. that's very theatrical, very performative to mm. to kind of have this focus from them on the sides. I wonder yeah if that sort of part of your performance practice as well potentially being able to sort of (laughs) make sense of things when there's these viewers as well I think that is a totally fair assessment there's a theatre happening there Mm. maybe one of the biggest differences is that Benini has created static sculptures of an audience whereas I've transposed the concept of spectacle in my work to be the actual the, the actual live experience, the actual flesh. So I can't create like Bonini can, but I can borrow those aspects. Absolutely. And you don't need marble. You've got yourself. Oh, my God. Could you imagine? <laughs> well, that sounds like a um, great place to ask you about one of the works you've made and if you could speak to it sort of from its initial conceptual territory through to where it sits now in your practice, if it's even part of your practice still. Is there a Mm. particular project that comes to mind? One of the things I want to talk about today when I was thinking about what artworks to select, I decided to go with the project that I did called Like a Persian. Mm. And so I selected that one Partly because I think it has a most interesting story to it in the way of, like, go to woe. And also I think it ties into some of those elements. And I also enjoy the work at the moment because that one was selected for the Incinerator Art Award and won the Merrill Prize. Congratulations, I saw that. I know, I got the MILF money. I was like, yes. Um, Which... What do you mean by MILF money? MILF money. Um, <laughs> Please explain. MILF money. Okay. MILF. MILF comes... <laughs> the etymology of MILF comes from American pie. Mm-hmm. Uh, a MILFism, a mother I'd like to fuck. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then Fergie, formerly of the Black Eyed Peas. Oh, I think I'm familiar with this person, <laughs> yes. Fergie had a track come out a couple of years ago called MILF Money where... <laughs> She's pretty much talking about how rich and fabulous and 
successful she is and she's a MILF mm. and she talks about MILF money. So all money is fake except for MILF money. <laughs> That's the only real money in the world. Oh, for a second I was thinking that the prize was donated by like a really hot mum. No, it's not. <laughs> it was selected by... I don't know who gave me the the money. Come, I don't know where money comes from. It's just appeared. It was given by the very handsome mayor of oh. of Mooney Ponds. Oh. yeah, can't complain. Hans, Did you Han- say thank you, Mayor of Mooney Ponds, for my milf money? <laughs> Not yet. I will for <laughs> my political work. <laughs> Not yet, but I will. In, I feel like I'll save that for in person. I'm like, hey, Mr. Mayor. Yeah. Thanks for the milf money, and he'll say, what's a milf? And then I'll quietly back away <laughs> with my giant oversized novelty check. So like a Persian, yes. um, when did this start and how did it start? The story of, of the video essay that is currently in the Incinerator Art Award. The original conception of that um, came about in early 2019. Sometimes I like to have projects that I want to do for no good reason other than I wish to do them. It's a personal fulfilment thing. Um, And about 10 years prior, I had sort of decided I wanted to do a stage show. I wanted to do something, write a show... And, and I love comedy. So. Under the lights. Under the lights. I fucking love the stage, though, right? Like, I'm a show pony. I love performing in all its elements. So I decided this is a thing I wanted to do. And so I had created an hour-long stand-up show based on my personal life experiences for Melbourne Fringe Festival 2019. And we had a really great run. It was really challenging. It was essentially me and one other person. And Betty Grumble was my mentor through that as well. Oh, I love Betty. I fucking love Betty. Yeah. Like, she's my art crush. She's, like, amazing and talented and hot and, like, funny and all these things. So, like, I just love her and she's so good. And she came to my show and she laughed. And I'm like, oh, it's so cute. Like, Betty is, like fake laughing for me it's so cute and then like I had to sort of snap at myself out of it and I was like no like she might actually like you and I was like <laughs> like um but anyway and what was the process for making this hour-long work did you just like sit at home and try and write jokes I'm so bad at that well I've seen the video and you're not <laughs> no I'm really you're pretty funny actually so how did you get funny I got uh trauma <laughs> Yeah, okay. Short answer, trauma. Right. Mm. Go on. Um, Well, you see, a bunch of (laughs) fucked up shit happens to you and you never process it properly and then you have to come up with these skills in order to mask, in order to live in the real world. I chose comedy. (laughs) Brilliant. Um, but like, uh, like honestly, it, it really took 10 years to develop. It really did take... Uh, 10 years, and I'm not sitting at a desk and I'm not writing. I'm going out and getting drunk and coming up with, like, mm. dumb jokes or word plays and pulling up my friend and going, hear me out. <laughs> hear me out. And then, like, I have this, like, one, one-liner one and I'm like, is this funny? And they're like, no. And I'm like, 
all right, let's have another drink and then and then I'll try to think of something else witty. I don't write in a straightforward way. It's it's through like a series of natural conversations. For sure. And I'll piece them together. Um, and even with like going through the development of this, a lot of it was sort of I have this topic I want to address. I had maybe like four or five topics and then I would expand on them. And some and you just work through it and talk it out with people until you find the way to make it land or how to find the way to just tug at the right places to make moments. Yeah. I work in a very free way, so I applied that. And sometimes you'd have a night and a joke is just not landing mm. or you feel like this, this crowd is not going to respond well to that joke. Mm. We're going to move into this other one. It's very responsive. You have to be. Mm. And especially with a one-person show, there is no one else to rely on. So if something is not going to plan, you either have to push through it with tenacity and confidence or you have to make a call about, like, they, they hated that joke, they're going to fucking hate this joke. Mm. And other times the asshole in me is like, this crowd is going to hate this joke. <laughs> Yeah. And you have, to, you have to find the dance between it. And some nights are good nights and some nights are bad nights. But we had developed this show. We had a really nice run and it was really cool. And I was like, how do you, how do you make an artwork extend beyond its run? Mm, yeah. Live performance, yeah. Or even anything. Yeah. Because I have this challenge because I get into this capital mindset where I've made an artwork. Now I have to make another one. Now I have to make another one. I need to be constantly producing in order for people to see that I am active. Productive, yeah. Productive, therefore successful. Mm, yeah, yeah. Right? And I had to take a step back because I was like, what you're doing, talking to myself, what you're doing, Samane, is you're producing incredible amounts of work that never get seen. That's a problem for me because I get burnt out. So I was like, okay, what do you do with this thing? And my original plan was to apply to tour this. Mm, let me guess. A pandemic got in a the pan- way. <laughs> Would you believe a pandemic got in the way? So this is November 2019 and I took the a couple of months off to get funny again. Um, <laughs> And then this pandemic happened and I was like, oh, like, fuck, what do I do with this? Mm. And I just, I had no idea because I invested like a year into doing this. I felt like it had legs. Yeah. I felt confident with it. I could see that people were responding to it. And then the bottom fell out. And we're still in a pandemic, you know. Um, So what had happened was I was like, okay, like, pitch this somehow. I don't know what it is, but, like, pitch this somehow. Let's extend its life. It felt relevant. It felt funny. It felt good to do. Did you use the term pivot? No. Great. <laughs> <laughs> no. I think I was... Uh, the, I'm, no, I'm just like, you have to, like, what are do you going to do with, with it? Yeah. What are you going to do with it? Yeah. Right? No, I didn't pivot. I do, Like, I can't even spell pivot. <laughs> P-E-E... <laughs> It's a dirty word now. Please never use it again. W-E-T-T-E. Yuck, yuck, yuck. No, I was just like, you have to do something with it because you, like, what are you going to do? Like, what are you going to do? For real. And I felt like for the first time in a long time, it just felt good. That's all I can say. 
so anyway, uh, what had happened was uh, just through sort of some really great timing and some really great connections, a not-for-profit called Road to Refuge. I forget how I got in touch with them, um, but I had applied for a project that they call Shifting the Narrative. And the purpose of that, because Road to Refuge work with asylum seeker and refugee groups, and my background is from there, with Shifting the Narrative, they allow people with lived experiences to tell their stories in any way they want, and they provide a framework and facilitate that happening. So I had pitched, mind you, I pitched this to them in February, mm. just before mm. the pandemic. It got green lit, green lit, green lighted, and then it took us another year mm. to then be able to bring this to life because of what we wanted to do with it, which was to make a video piece. Um, Incinerary Art Gallery fantastically called it a video essay, and I was like, oh, wow, what a great yeah. term. That's right. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to borrow like, that. Uh, yeah, it's not documentation of a stand-up gig and it's not, um, you know, a sort of experimental video art piece. It's really a video essay from your perspective about your life but from a very, yeah, artistic angle. Yeah. And so it incorporates elements of performative stand-up borrowed from the original stage show yeah. as well as more candid interviews where I'm discussing a lot of issues that affect me as a queer person of colour living on stolen land and then the experience of diaspora for mm. me. So, yeah, we went through this whole project space and I was so lucky to have this great team at Road to Refuge and they they gifted me with like an amazing camera person and cinematographer, Brett Walker, who I was sort of a little bit iffy about because I was like, oh, my God, you've given me a white man. Mm. And I was like, because, you know, I had my wish list and I was like, please give me, these are the types of people I'd want to work with sure. because we're talk I'm talking about things that are so specific to me. I didn't want to have to have a team around me where I explained it. So at first... I'm sorry, Brett. I was really <laughs> iffy about Brett. Well, but especially when you're, you know, you're being vulnerable to camera, you're trying to perform as yourself with things that aren't necessarily, you know, easy to say. You want to be comfortable mm. and, and you want to feel looked after, I guess. Yeah. But, like, Brett actually ended up being so amazing to work with and really understood all the references. I don't actually probably didn't understand the references, but took the cues from the references that I gave him. And I had this amazing producer, Sam Butcher, who would just like take my phone calls and just be like, you're so funny. And I'd be like, thanks. Thanks, Sam. So felt really supported. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I had this sort of great team. And the thing about working collaboratively like that is that I don't often do it. I will select my collaborators mm. because I deal with such personal content. Yeah. Content, I'll often choose people who I feel really understand it. 
So it'll be like um, my partner Keith because I can bully him into doing exactly what I want as he brings up Pisces energy of going along with whatever stupid Leo idea I want. Um, or, you know, my mum or my aunt or my cousin or really, really close friends. And often there'll be people of colour. So it was sort of having to navigate that but also having to trust the other person. And so going in with Brett, I was like, Brett, I'm just a clown. Like, I'm the truth is, I'm a, and I love that term. I don't mean mm. it disparagingly. I'm a clown. But I want you to ha- have the freedom and trust to put this clown's work into the best format possible. And Brett just did that so beautifully. Mm. And you know, then my partner Keith, he works with sound design. So, and he had done my sound design for the original show. So we had this great collaborative aspect of, you know, how do you bring a punchline? How do you use sound mm. to elicit emotion? And having that with someone I'm so close to was also awesome because I was like, and we put in little funny, for us little funny jokes. So the the soundtrack of it is a Middle Eastern reworking of Madonna's Like a Virgin, (laughs) right? So um, that melody, and I was like, wouldn't it be great if we could make it Middle Eastern sounding because that's pretty much the wordplay. And the poster we had designed is a direct reference to that album cover where she was wearing the white. Yes, like a Persian. Right, yeah. Yeah, got it, got it. Right, except like I've got kebab in my hand. Yeah, yeah. So having that was cool. I was like, you know, I did. And so we would like do those little kind of sound collages. And that was cool. And we both love pop music. So we're like, there's a bit where I reference Slim Shady by Eminem. And so, again, we took like there's a hook in there. And then we use, I don't know, whatever we used, like some sort of stringed in Middle Eastern sounding stringed instrument to get that like. Mm. or whatever it was can be really satisfying I think when you make a piece and then you have the chance to really tweak it and finesse it and spend time with it after it's already been in front of an audience because then you kind of can pick up what um you felt like really was sort of generative and working with an audience and then especially in the context of a video piece you can really control it and you can really hone in on every little detail that perhaps is a bit trickier when you're completely live and it can be so satisfying. It really can and for the control freak in me that's so cool. Yeah. And yeah you can like because live is chaotic, mm. and I love it. I thrive off that. Mm. But then there's control where you're like, make it snap, make it pop, put the sound here, put that there, yes, and package it up. And it's like mm. you've got this nice little direct, I don't know, you have a direct piece of art. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was, like, so satisfying, and I love that. And I also love, like, being the director where I'm like, I don't know, like, don't you think, like, a Debussy is a little, you know, because you use, like, stock stock sounds, stock music. And I'm like, don't you think Debussy is just, like, a little bit... bit much. Don't you think it's a bit much? Don't you think it's a bit cliched, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I love being the director part of it is great, but also giving control over to people and trust mm. is really great and... 
like Brett's awesome because Brett would just be like, I've got some questions, I'm just going to let you do your thing. And I was like, thanks. Mm. And I think he watched me cry like about 20 times. Aww. And I'm like, please cut out the ugly cry. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a really special collaboration though to be able to like find this good balance between feeling looked after and also like you can be um, the author of the piece and really direct it but, yeah, also have like all these skills come in from the other people that make this sort of very um I feel like it's very slick work in the end like it's beautifully shot it's really beautifully um edited like Mm -hmm. the timing is like exquisite and yeah did it feel like um you know you're a very multidisciplinary artist you've worked in performance art in photography video drawing collage Mm -hmm. stand-up comedy Mm -hmm. did it feel like you were sort of moving into even another form or frame and and did it sort of make you want to keep doing this kind of work or how are you feeling about um this at the moment where's it taken you yes Mm. is is the short answer working in live performance art COVID just took the bottom out of it Mm, mm. I'm not really sure even how to navigate that and even then like exhibition spaces if you're making 2d work 3d work became is is becoming complicated so for me the idea of a video work or a video essay felt really comfortable as a documentation Mm. and you're right it made it really slick and then it's something that a person can then put out into the world that has it feels alive it feels dynamic without it being a live show has all those the wonderful elements of it and the level of control that you can have with a video work as a piece is great because I'm so used to also working in these responsive, almost chaotic ways. And as I get older, I want to, I have to learn and I do learn how to convey my message in a more beautiful... Mm, like refined. Refi- yeah. There we go, ref- refined way. I love the idea of it, but then also... There's a whole new set of challenges. Yeah. Like, I can't edit, so I need a... There's, there needs to be a team. And I was so lucky. Like, all those things that you said about it, like, there are elements that external people have brought in. Mm. And so I, like, I love having that team around me. I would love to do more, but also there's... you. It requires resources. <laughs> it requires resources, it requires time, and it requires a, a different way of working that I'm so open to, but I'm learning how to do it. Yeah, yeah. And it seems like you are you are open. You're an open artist. You're an experimental artist that, that dips into different forms that respond to the content or issue that you're thinking about. It doesn't necessarily... You don't feel like you're limited by a single form or a single idea it's it feels like very fluid and very queer in that sense I guess because it's not stuck in sort of certain binaries of this is what my practice is now and forever (laughs) Mm, yeah I think it's always been fluid for me but then I would love to be these artists (laughs) same (laughs) who (laughs) knows 
I remember meeting someone once, and they and I was telling them about who I am, what I do. And they're like, "You sound like a person with a five year plan." And I was like, "No, I'm fucking not. Like, I'm lucky to know what's happening at five p.m. today, right?" Totally. But I also recognize the goal is to work independently as an artist with some sort of sustainable, and when I say sustainable, emotionally, financially, spiritually Mm. practice. And then you just, like, it's so unglamorous. You plug away at it and you plug away at it and you take the rejection letter and you apply and you take that rejection letter again and eventually you finesse what you're trying to say enough to be able to articulate to other people. Yeah. But also, I'm like, I just want to do lots of things. Like, I'm not really very good at one thing. <laughs> right? That's not for you to say. That's a, well, I mean, this is the very honest, you know, the very honest thing. I, I'm, you know, my background is in conceptual art. I do ideas. Yeah. I can't paint. Yeah. I have painted. Yeah. But I'm not technical. I can... You know, and sometimes when I make a, a movie or a video essay, I'm working on my iPhone mm. and doing these things, and I love that immediacy of just using whatever's around you. Yeah, being but, responsive. But, I mean, like, why just do one thing? I'm, like, I'm so bored mm. doing one thing. Mm. So getting two years out of this one project mm. is a milestone for me. And then I probably won't put that subject to bed. no. No. And I feel like you should tour like a Persian. I think it's an amazing piece and the more people need to see it. But, you know, that could be in different forms. It could be in the stand-up comedy world. It could be in the performance art world. It could be as a video essay. And, um, yeah, I, I feel really lucky to be introduced to your practice and to meet you. It's really exciting when you sort of feel like you know a certain scene and then you meet someone who's sort of just doing really exciting things and get to yeah get to know how you do it and and why and so thank you so much for chatting today and I look forward to hanging out again oh <laughs> thank you for having me like I'm touched by that thank you because most of the time especially with just coming out of lockdown yeah we're, I feel like we're just these sort of individuals floating in the world, throwing things yeah, out. Yeah, it feels really isolating. Um, so thank you. Thank you for having me. Letting me talk about some of the wild ideas that influence me and my projects. So Yeah, and I hope you get to Rome and jerk up <laughs> to that sculpture. <laughs> Aphids, listen, listen. listen.